welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Oh my goodness, there she is, my magnificent Beverly Feldman. Look at the way you're dressed, so beautiful. I have to tell you, we've been friends for, I would say, uh, decades through the shoe business. I've known you for so long. It wasn't until I read your book that I really learned so much more about you and developed a whole newfound respect for you. You always seem to be a little bit quirky, a little bit eccentric, and you know, kind of, I almost didn't take you seriously, but I will tell you that I learned a lot about you. So, you know, before we go any further, I want people to know just a little bit about you. Beverly Feldman, the iconic shoe queen of the 80s and 90s, before Christian Louboutin was anything, people were running to buy the Beverly Feldman shoes. They were leopards, they were glitz, they were glamour. You had a store on Fifth Avenue I used to go into and admire. And I know you're originally from Massachusetts. You moved to Spain, and I think in the 80s, to be closer to the shoe factory. I 70s. Want people to, in the 70s you moved? Wow. I want to show yeah. people what you actually look like right now today, even though they can see you on this. But this is the glamour. Ah, how'd you get that picture? I got it. I have my ways. I have my ways. I have my ways of getting stuff. So I do have to tell you, reading your book, Too Much Is Not Enough, was too much for me. I got to tell you. I'm not a big reader, but I plowed through this book in probably four or five days, which is very quick for me because uh, the kids just drive me crazy, but I was able to get through it. What made you decide to expose your faxes? Because those were your letters. This book is about letters that you've sent to people, your friends, people in the shoe business, and you've kind of exposed a lot of people and names in this book. So what made you decide to do that? Well, uh, it took me two and a half years to write the book. And I was writing the book when my shoe business had kind of collapsed. I had no business. So I had a lot of time. And I had been writing letters to everybody for a really long time. And everybody told me I should write a book because they loved the way I wrote. So I said, well, this is a good time to put it all together. And I'd been through a lot and I was encouraged by everybody. So I started to write the book, put it, I didn't have to write it. I just put everything together, Rich. Right. I, I know that. And I know that most of it, you're very um, complimentary to most of the people. But, you know, there are certain aspects of the book where, you know, I love the fact that you're not so politically correct. You tell it as it is. And that, to me, was more charming than everything else. Because, you know, it's very easy to just write a book and, you know, about fashion and make everything fabulous, you know. Because I think that's the new way of doing things these days. Everything is fabulous. That's the political correct way. You kind of told everything like it was. It, it, they were real letters and real faxes. And it was written 23 years ago when I was 50. Well, I was surprised to see me in the book, which we'll talk about later. And how you describe <laughs> me. We'll get to that later. Later, I want to just give you some quotes from the book. And I, I'm just going to want to know your reaction to some of the quotes okay. from your book. But I want to know, how did your love affair with shoes actually even start? I, I remember when I was 10 years old, when I was very young, I came from Hopedale, Massachusetts. This is how it started. And there was a discount shoe store in the next town, Milford. And the cutest guys were there. Boys. I there be cute guys behind this. All right, so they were Portuguese, and their names were Alves, and they were three brothers. So we used to go there every Saturday to see the guys. And, you know, I, I really went there for the guys, and then I developed a love for shoes, and, and it just started there. And I always picked out the right shoes, and I remember my, when I was 10 years old, I went to New York with my mother and some girls stopped me on a subway and they loved my shoes and I remember exactly what they looked like. Do and you remember do you remember the name of them? Were they a designer? No, they, they weren't they weren't a big deal. And and when I was 13 I made my first pair because I used to make all my own clothes and I took fabric and I 
I glued it onto a pair of ballet flats so the fabric matched the dress. My life is my destiny. I was supposed to be who I am. Yeah, you, you're very creative. It comes from in your DNA, I think. Which, you know, kind of leads me to my next question. You were always such a visual person. Very visual. Everything was about, you know, every time I saw you, every time you've come into the store on the Upper East Side or I go to your shop, you were always impeccably dressed. I mean, I remember you were a Dior, you were a Chanel customer. I mean, I want to know, like, how did that work out? I know that you didn't go in. You, I know you. You didn't go in and just, you know, pay whatever they said. You were kind of a smart shopper, but you were a designer shopper. I loved shopping. I, I used to say I was an Olympic shopper. And when I went into a store, I would just go into another, you know, another level of shopping. I mean, it was like, I found shopping very creative. It was a creative experience for me. And I, I would buy things that I would always say were for my collection. Well, I know. And I read that in the book. You, you, you justified a lot. And I would say shopping was definitely one of your addictions, which we're yes. going to get to that later. Oh, to you full, full of addictions. And, and yeah. so, you know. And, is it and true? I, I got cured from the shopping addiction. Great. I want to know which was the... We're going to talk again later. We're going to get back to the addictions. I'm going to want to know which addiction, because there are a lot of addictions, which I'm just going to run through really quickly now. You had the shopping addiction, which we just said. You had the weight addiction from the age of 15, which was really, um, really difficult to read about. It makes me feel sad. You had the sex ad addiction, which I also want to talk about. And then you had the plastic surgery addiction. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah, you did. And then, you know, you're just your basic overall addiction with men, the wrong men, and your addiction yeah. with Tylenol. Uh, and, and, and Jim. I was a gym. I got addicted to the gym. To the gym, I know. We're going to talk about that too because I know um, later in life you had a hip replacement and you attributed a lot of that to all the working out and the, you know, which which is good for younger people to learn, especially somebody like myself who works out a lot. And um, it's good to know that you know this is what you may incur when you work out like a fanatic. Yeah, definitely. These obsessions sometimes they, are not worth it. Right. They so should have a little sign. Okay. Yeah, tell me. What should the they sign say? They have a little sign on every cardio machine in the gym. Be careful. This will result in hip and knee operations as yeah. you age. It's funny. And it's funny, I took a lot from that away because now I'm not running as much. The minute I feel things hurt me, I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. Getting back to the visual part, you and Claude, you married a man because he was beautiful in the first, what, two, three days you met him. You met him in Ibiza on a beach. Yeah, that was, yeah. And he, and he asked me to get married. Oh, he said to me, I had two drinks. I don't drink. And I had two drinks at the in-club Pasha. And the drink was uh, Coco Loco. And he, he looked at me and he said, I want you to have my baby. Probably said this to everybody. And I said, okay, no problem. I, we have to get married. He said, okay. And we went home that night. We had already had sex on the beach. We went home that night, and I think it was a single bed. Woke up in the morning, and I said, were you serious? And he said, yeah. I said, me too. So I had a week's vacation, and we just spent the rest of the week planning the whole thing. We became very good planners together. But and you nobody kind of barely knew him, but you barely knew him. I didn't care. He was so handsome. He was so handsome. And uh, wait, I have a picture on my desk. He uh, he was, can you see it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he was good looking, yes. He was good looking, good looking guy. But I remember in the book you saying he was so gorgeous that you just wanted to marry him. And that's what really the whole relationship was built on, your attraction to him. No, the thing was, I had no concept of what I looked like. Because no one ever told me I was pretty or beautiful. No one. My parents, any boyfriend up to that point, nothing. And I saw this guy, and he was so handsome. And I said, he wants to marry me. Yes, a few months later or a couple years later, 
I woke up and I looked at him and I said, it's in the book, you know? Um, why did I want to marry him, you know? Yeah, you can't marry somebody just because they're handsome. Right, and it's funny because I talk to a lot of women, you know, selling shoes for a very long time. I've talked to all kinds of women, you know, socialites, regular girls, women, and it's always the same thing. They want to be attracted to the point that the man has to be gorgeous. And my advice has always been completely different than what I read in your book. Find a guy who there's something you're attracted to, just something, whether it's the eyes, whether it's the smile, give him a chance, even if he's a little chubby and doesn't dress cool. Because let me tell you, once you get to know him and you fall in love with him, you transform them. You give them a haircut, you put them in a pair of Prada shoes, they lose weight. In their mind, they're still the fat guy, but they're gonna fuck you every day for the rest of their life because in their mind, they're still the fat guy. The great looking guy never stays great looking. In your book, you said you woke up, what was it, 15 years later, and you looked at your gorgeous husband and you said he was bloated, fat, he wasn't even nice to you. And that was incredible because I don't think anything changes. I think in every generation, in every country, Nothing ever changes. What you wrote was so impactful that every girl should kind of take a lesson from that. Well, the problem, that's great with normal women. The problem is if you're a designer, everything in your world has to be perfect. You know, your environment, uh, who you're with, your clothes, your house, everything has to be designed. Okay. And... I wanted to be that couple in the like Bacardi and rum commercial on the beach. That's how I pictured myself. Right. So he fit into that perfectly. Yeah, he fit into it perfectly up until you found your best friend's panties in the back seat of the Rolls Royce right, right. that you bought for him practically. The, the, you had, what, what did you have? You had two planes, right? You had two planes, yeah. a Rolls Royce. You were spending, if, if I'm correct, close to Thirty-five to forty thousand a year on just clothing back in the eighties. I mean, 80, that was eighty. Nineteen eighty. I, I mean, that's a. I don't know. I would spend eighty thousand dollars a a season or a year on clothes. Eighty thousand a year, let's say, on clothes back in the eighties. That what is that equivalent to today? It's got to be hundreds of thousands. You were a professional, addictive shopper with everything, not just clothing. The, your crystal, your sheets. I couldn't even pronounce the sheets. I wanted to look it up, but I was too tired. So I didn't bother, but I said, I'm sure they're very expensive. Patrese, I just found a pillowcase from them. I said, oh, Patrese. Yeah, but I'm not unusual. Um, you know? You're not unusual. You're not. In fact, you're, the only way you're unusual is that you, were, you, you adapted to losing it all so well. Like you yes. had this sense of spirituality. And, you know, one of the things you said in the book that I love, and I keep telling it to myself, the way to have money is to stop spending it. It's simple. And you did it. Well, I had to do it. Wait, first of all, I've lost it all. So that cured me of shopping. <laughs> that totally cured me. Yeah, that cured it. Yeah, that cured me of shopping. That was the cure. Okay, so tell me, which was the hardest addiction between all the ones, and I want to talk about your sex addiction, too. Actually, before we even, before you tell me which was the hardest, I want to hear about the sex addiction. At what age did that begin? Do you remember? At four, we used to play doctor, the kids, and I was the patient. Wow. How's that? <laughs> Who did you play with? I got to watch my kids now. They're going to be my sick, so I'm scared. <laughs> The kids and my neighbors, we were four. I so it started that. at four years old. And did you think that had to do with your father as well and your parents? Because I know you say I that know. all of No, it, you know, too much is not enough. And if, if it feels good, you want more. Sex and desserts, it's all, it's, it all feels good. If sex feels good, you want more, right? Right, yes. But you took it to the extreme. And I know that you did have daddy issues. And it's kind of like throughout the book, you know, throughout the decades, it's like you were always kind of searching for the approval from a man and, you know, kind of feeling like you wanted that daddy figure in a way that would tell you you're beautiful. I love you. You're perfect. Well, looking back on it, Rich, I was really using the guys, you know, and in my work, I always had guys 
I was in a position of control because I was the designer. I put quite a few major companies out of business also, which I kind of enjoyed. Because when I left, very shortly after I left, they went out of business. Somebody said, was discussing with me that she had testosterone shots so she would be more aggressive. And I said, you know, I think I have, I always said I feel like I have an extra male gene because I am very tough. I'm really tough. I got tough. that from the book. Yes, I got from the book that you were a little bit more of the male. Yeah. I mean, in one, in, 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 in towards one of, in the end of the book, I forgot his name. You were having a relationship with a 26-year-old that was married. In fact, most of the men were married that you were having affairs with. They were all married. That's who you, I think, were uh, you, you were attracted to. And there was one night where he had trouble having sex and you yelled at him and said, well, if you can't do it, who can do it? Because he had a, heart, he had a scare with the doctor. He had something with the doctor and he came to meet you and you guys couldn't go through with sex and you actually, you yelled at him. Yeah. You were kind of like the man. Yeah. I I have a male gene. The best one. You took care of him financially. As I got older, I got stronger. Once I was, I don't know who I was with. My husband was German and very handsome. So unsexy was unbelievable. So and you're Jewish. I just I just want to let people know you you were a nice Jewish girl from Massachusetts, and you married a German guy. Yeah. So when I got divorced, I I started dating married guys because my husband cheated on me the whole time. So I said to myself, I want to be the girlfriend. You know, I don't want to get married. I just want to be the girlfriend. And so I I guess I'm a player. I guess that's what it came down to. Was it the thrill and of the I, hunt? Oh, yeah. It yeah. was the thrill of the hunt. I got it from the book. Your yeah. obsession with your trainer, Juanita. Oh, yeah. I mean, every obsession you obsessed in this book, like I thought this was it, this was the guy, and within a matter of seconds, you were on to the next one. It was the yeah. thrill of the hunt for you. Yeah. Yeah, and if I couldn't get the guy, it would absolutely go out of my mind. So, and then somebody put me on Zoloft, so I got a little bit better. But I can override Zoloft. I have the capacity. I have the craziness to override. To override the medication. I love that. (laughs) You can override the medication. You can override the doctors, lie detector tests, everything. I really believe that in you. I really have faith that you can do that, Beverly. I do. You know, it's funny because I I told you this once before a long time ago is that when I used to hang out with you, I always felt like I was a minute away from being molested. And I don't know why I always thought that way. It was my imagination. But in the book, when I read what you said about me in the book, it kind of confirmed it. Okay, and here is what you write on page 90. I contacted Miss Tony, who was taking over the United States. And I'm acting as her secretary to set up a dinner for us all when I get back to New York for the shoe fair next month. Maybe you could stuff little Richie from Chucky's in your pocket and I will take him home for dessert. And it was funny. I woke Brad up in the middle of the night while I was reading. I go, you see? You see? And I showed it to him. It was really funny. I know you don't remember. You probably can't remember half the stuff. But are you still as sexual as you were? I want to know at your age. No, I gave it up. I gave it up. Uh, This year I gave it up. And I'm very happy with the decision because as... As I got older, the quality of the men got worse. And I just said to myself, I, I'm like superwoman. And there's, uh, there's no one that, you know, what, what can he do for me? Nothing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do know what you're And saying. you can't do anything mm-hmm. for me. Because but I've what about a- just companion? What about just companionship? I, uh, no. No. You're still a young woman. I want you to tell women out there, uh, you're still a young woman. You've been through a lot of relationships and marriage. Um, I want you to tell women out there, what was maybe the mistake you made, you think? Do you think you made a mistake? I mean, you know, I know that maybe you might have not done things differently, but along the way, maybe you felt like you might have. I, I didn't make a mistake because I believe in destiny and I work all the time. 
I kind of outgrew men. Do you know? Yeah. If that's I, possible. I, I understand, but like you'd still, you would still back the fact that marrying Claude after one day was the right thing to do. Yeah, we spent 17 years together. We built a business together. We had a lot of good times together. I didn't know what he was doing. And I always wanted to be married. I didn't want to be one of those fashion uh, girls that would, didn't get married. My dream, I wanted to be married when I was in the sixth grade. Right. And so that's why you told him, because it was funny that when you told him uh, that you would have to get married first, I was very surprised and impressed because you were such a modern woman. That didn't sound like something you would normally say. You know, you were an independent woman making your own money, traveling, doing everything. And when he said, I want you to have my baby, I was shocked at your answer. And you, would you, him that night, you would say we would have to get married too, okay? Yeah. Was, if I saw him, maybe. He was the hottest guy I ever had seen uh, up until that day. I don't know, I'm 73 now. I never saw a guy as good looking as him. Would you tell girls though now, if they met guys that were so gorgeous, wouldn't you tell them that looks are not everything and you need to kind of get to know them? Yeah, but I still believe in destiny. I do weddings here and I see all these people get married. <laughs> I wonder, uh, I wonder how, how many people are gonna stay married, you know? Being married is very difficult. Yes, it is. You know, because yeah. this is what I want to talk about in, you know, on the podcast. And I talk to my nephews and nieces and friends. You know, the grass is not always greener. Everyone seems to think the grass is greener. You know, the world with social media and everything has gotten so um, crazy that everyone seems to think that everyone's living a better life. You know, you look at their pictures. Everything is better. Everyone has more money. Everyone's traveling more. Everyone's better looking. And, you know, it's funny. I had, a, you know, a, a moment in my life where I realized, wow, the grass is not always greener. And it came from a customer, a customer of mine who came in with a man who was much, much better looking and younger than her. And she was a little bit overweight. And, um, you know, by the time she left, I was looking to see who was going to pay for her shoes. I thought for sure she was paying for her own shoes because that was the thing my girls did back then. Whenever couples would come in, who's going to pay? A at the end, when she left, everybody was turning their nose up to her. And I remember thinking, wow, he is very lucky to have her because she's going to be faithful to him. She's going to be faithful to him. And it's funny, I explained this to the other girls around me that I'm sure that he's dated a bunch of other girls who used him for his money, for shopping, for everything, and probably cheated on him. This girl was in love with him and, you know, was probably going to stick with him. So there's something to be said about that. You know, while everybody else was judging that, I thought that was a beautiful thing. I think now, and since I got divorced, the best thing is being alone because it's peace. You wake up in the morning, Rich, and you are free. You can do what you want, when you want. You can watch TV, the station you want, uh, freedom. I think being alone is the best thing. Yeah, but you've had it. In other words, you've had the relationships, you've had the marriage. So, of course, that, and I bet a lot of women feel that way after so many relationships or after a long marriage, a long relationship. I'm sure they do. I mean, getting back to the grass is not always greener. There was another woman who I helped, you know, give her shoes for her wedding. I, I styled her for her wedding and I styled her for her brisses and for the children's parties. And one day she comes and says she has a boyfriend and she's getting a divorce. And I said, What? She's like, yeah, I'm getting a divorce. I have a boyfriend. He's so much nicer than my husband. You know, he likes to go out at night. I go, well, is your husband, did he do anything? Did he? She goes, no, he's a great guy. He didn't cheat. It just, we kind of like, we lost ways. We kind of like, you know, drifted apart. So I said, okay. When she walked out of the store, I remember thinking she has like four children. How is she doing this to her children? Just walking out on a man that really didn't do anything that she just feels, you know, she drifted apart or she probably met this boyfriend. Fast forward a year later, she comes into the store and I say, how's it going? How's the boyfriend? She goes, oh, he was terrible. He was really bad. She goes, I'm trying to get back with my ex, but he won't have anything to do with me. And I remember turning around saying, grass is not always greener. It was just every time I turn around, I always think you got to work on shit. You got to work on shit. Otherwise, you're just going to have years of piling and moving on from one problem to the next. And I, and I put my money where my mouth is. I'm in a relationship for, what, 22 years. We've gone to couples therapy. Yeah, 22 years I'm in this relationship. It feels like 22,000, but it's been 22. 
but we've gone through therapy, you know, two, three, four times. It's always about the same thing. I mean, it never really changes, you know, it's always about the same thing, but I believe in working at it. And we did it before we were, you know, we're still not married, but we did it when we could have literally shaken hands and said, okay, sayonara. We didn't have kids at the time, but something told me, let's just go to therapy. And we did. And, uh, you know, listen, things aren't perfect. I'm still thinking of ways to smother him in his sleep, but <laughs> I'll call you. I'm sure you'll have tips for me. <laughs> oh, I, I have YouTube. There's, there's hundreds of ways people killed their wives and husbands, you know. I've watched all of those. I just Dead. love that. But they always get caught. So, okay. So, all that being said, the bankruptcy, the husband cheating with your best friend, you lost your best friend, you lost your husband, you lost your business. And mind you, you were selling 500, a half a million pairs a year at one point, right? And it literally went from a half a million to nothing. Your business died just right. like that. The right. glitz and glamour went out and the fat, right. clunky, ugly shoes, as you say, came in. It was the big square, black, 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 and all your beautiful stilettos with the rhinestones and leopards and those were out. So within one season, you were out of business, lost your husband, lost your best friend, lost your money, and you somehow came back and through reading in your book, you do have this deep spirituality, which I admire, and you did it with grace. You really did it with grace. Can you elaborate how you did it with grace and where did your spirituality come from? Because I know you came from a broken home. I know that your dad kind of, you know, ignored you. He was not around. And when he did come to pick you up to take you, he'd keep you waiting for hours. Crazy. What, what, what is that? Tell me. Did that shoot yourself or something else? No, he was nuts. My was business, went, it went up and down four times. So the first time it went down, it was really bad. And, but then the second, third, and fourth time, I was used to it. And I always compared it to when the mafia guys in, in, in New York went to war, they would hit the mattresses, you know? So you'd have to go into an apartment and lay low and not spend any money and hang it. But then it changes, it comes back. So once you get over the first time, the, as I said, second, third, and fourth time, it's easy, you know? So my, I, I became resilient to, and when it went down, uh, I would find other things to do, and I'm a survivor. You did have, like, through everything you went through with the bankruptcy, your husband, you had a spirituality, which I really do admire, and you went through, you went through it with grace, and you did bounce back. I'm proud of you. And then you went for plastic surgery. I think that's when the plastic surgery started. The biggest bounce back is right now. I'm living the biggest bounce back right now. I know, but we're not up to that yet. We're gonna get to okay. that after. I wanna talk about the bounce back. I wanna talk about the bounce back after all of, when, when, when everything collapsed and then you, you came back, you came back with a vengeance. You lost the weight, you got down to a size six, you, um, you were, became addicted to plastic surgery. In addition to your plastic surgeon, who you used to travel from Spain to Paris just to have an affair with, when you knew he was married and had a girlfriend. I mean, you were the man. You didn't even care. I didn't care. I, I said, this you guy, he, he was very famous. I said, he's not any better than my husband. It's the same thing, you know? And I, what I loved about it is that you almost treated him like a prostitute. You handed him a little Hermes gift when he came to the hotel, and you knew he had a wife, you knew he had a girlfriend, you handed him his gift, and you were in control. It was crazy. And I admired that about you. And I think, um, I think that did well for you in your career. Did well for my face. It did well for your face. Well, I, I want to ask you, with all the um, surgery that you went through, was there anything that you think you could have done without? Or could you give any advice to young girls? What would your advice be? I know your advice. Let me guess. If something bothers you, fix it. When I was 35 years old, I looked in the mirror and I said, I don't want to get old. And I went to Dr. Oren Trite in New York City, and I got my first silicone injections. And that was the beginning. That Tell was me. in 
Spain one day and they did an expose on Dr. Orentreich and somebody went into his office with a hidden cam camera and they like ruined him with the silicone. And that was the end of silicone. I, I loved silicone. It was permanent. What age did, were you when you got your first facelift? 45. Okay, do you, rem I remember you, we, we, we hung out at one point after you had your facelift, it had to be maybe a year after. And you asked me, you, first time you saw me, you were like, you had a facelift. I was so young. I remember thinking, is she crazy? I had a facelift. Like you were so eccentric and so, I don't know, I guess I thought you were crazy. And you were, which is why I think I loved you, is that you were crazy and you thought I had this facelift that I don't even, I was, I was in my late 20s, I think. My middle really? 20s. I, I think I, maybe late 20s, maybe 30. I don't remember. But um, I remember thinking that was the craziest thing. But how many facelifts have you had? I would have had more. If I had money now, I would have another one. But I, 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 I would be there now. Even how with many the have you had? It's hard to remember. You've had that many? It's hard to remember? <sighs> I had this done. I had my neck done. I had my eyes done twice. I wanted him to do my eyes again. He wouldn't do it. And I just called the doctor today here. I saw some pictures. I haven't, since I gave up dating, I said I don't need, you know, injections or anything. But I just saw some new pictures. And when I saw the pictures, I called the doctor for more injections because now if you don't go out, they have all these apps that you can, <laughs> you can fix your face and you make yourself thinner. It's great, bitch, because you don't- I don't know if it's great. It's only fueling your obsession even more and your addiction even yeah. more. But it's cheaper than going for a facelift or surgery. You do it at home on your computer screen. People expect me to look great. You know, I'm, they, they admire the way I look and I have to keep that up still for my business. I, you know what? I understand that. I could relate to that. And for what it's worth, I think you're perfect. I think you're gorgeous every time. I mean, you know, in full disclosure, we've spoken on FaceTime many times because you're working on my shoes, the Richard Ronnie collection, working on factory. So we FaceTime a lot and we've done it when you were sitting in bed and I'd be like, even with no makeup, you look gorgeous. So I mean, you're Thank perfect you. to me. You don't need to really do anything. I think everything you've done over the years is, was good and it kind of lasted and um, it works for you. It was the best thing you did. You but have to go to good you. doctors. That's my advice is go to good doctors. Don't try to save money and don't go to the best, best doctors because they're not really kind. You know what? That's great advice because I know people that just want to go to the best, best, best. And I say, when you go to the best, sometimes you get lost in the sauce a little and you might not get the best work. And from what I heard, I don't know if it's true or not, they might even have somebody else do the surgery when you're out. I wanna ask you, are there any addictions that you still feel you have or did you give them, did you really conquer all your addictions? I mean, the sex I know we just spoke about, the shopping, I think that you're pretty much kind of I don't, I don't, I don't diet anymore. I gave that up because dieting is, Anybody that's on a diet, they should just stop because you have a natural weight. If you lose 10 or 20 pounds, it comes back. But what I about for young girls? What about for young girls that, you know, want to look their best for dating? That, you know, it's, weight is an issue for every woman around the world. You can diet, but you can lose the weight. You have to constantly diet to keep that weight. It's diet and exercise continually. It isn't like, right. oh, I just lost 20 pounds and I'm going to eat. No, you have to continue. You have to constant. I dieted my whole life. I know. I, I know you have. I don't even pills. I like pills. You took um, appetite suppressants? Oh, yeah. You know, I think if I was going to do it all over again, I would have the operation on my stomach. No, really? I'm not gonna... You want to hear a funny story? Yes, I'd love to. <laughs> I saw an old picture of me and I had these big hips you know yeah. and I had liposuction to take them off but now when I look at them it was very uh Kardashian hips I said look at that you know look how fashion changes in the 80s no you didn't want hips like that you know right. it, it was like small waist big hips and I had them 
I had him sucked out. Well, you know, that's interesting you say that because this is what I kind of want people to take away from this is that your body is your body. I really do believe everybody is beautiful in their own way. That being said, I do believe that I don't think crazy diets, I don't think have unrealistic goals, but I think watching the way you eat, I think trying to be the best version of yourself, there's nothing wrong with it. And I don't get why, you know, sometimes people are so opposed to that and, you know, be proud, be proud. Of course, be proud. Everyone is beautiful. The world would be boring if every girl was a size two, four, or six. I mean, what about all the guys that have, you know, love, you know, bigger women? What about guys that like shorter women who are heavier? I mean, there's all different, you know, there's all different guys that get turned on to all different things. How about a guy that gains some weight? There's more of that guy to hold. It's a nice thing, you know? Yeah, but I don't believe you. You say that, but I know that with Claude and with one of the Italian guys in your book from New Jersey, you saw the belly and you were not having it. You were not having it. So it's, <laughs> I, you, again, I'm going back to the same thing. You're the man in every relationship. But a couple years ago, I had You a want your men to have a six pack. You're like, yeah. man, you're like the rich man that wants a hot girl. That's yeah. who you are. Uh, yeah. But listen, who are you talking to? I run like a fucking hamster on a, on a, on a wheel just to try to, you know, keep Stop it going. Stop it. You're going to get your knees and hips. Talk to men 20 years older and take a, say, have you had any hip problems or knee problems? It's funny that you say that because, yes, I'm getting concerned from your book and from what you told me that I'm getting a little bit concerned about you know, not running as much. I'm trying to maybe alternate it with other stuff and not be so obsessed with it. Because I find the obsession of working out, it's, doesn't, it's, it's actually bad for your body. I think it's counterproductive. You know, you feel good for the moment, but then 10 years down the line, you're ruining other stuff. And then what happens when you go through these operations is that you need to stop working out and who knows what's going to happen then. So slow, steady pace, I think, is, uh, is where I think I'm geared towards. You can walk. And don't work out. Yeah, you, you can walk. Yeah. Now I, I swim. I swim. That's the best. Swimming is the best exercise. I want to go through now your book and just read a couple of things that I thought was funny, things that I thought were sad. And I just want to just read through them and get comments. All right, well, we've just discussed this. First, I've been dieting since I was 15. Food, weight, sex have always been the confusion of my life. If I ate too much, I would weigh too much and have no boyfriends. On the other hand, if I starved myself and got as thin as I could be, someone would love me, marry me, and I would be happy for the rest of my life. Such was my thinking. Do you think girls still think like that? Yes. The other thing I found interesting, actually, was my dieting was no more sophisticated with an additional 14 years experience. Yeah. I think that's another good thing for people to maybe learn, too. If you, if you can get experience out of all that dieting, you're lucky, but you got no extra Well, my last diet was the Mediterranean diet, and, right. and that was really the best one that I've ever been on, and it's very healthy. Another thing that I read that I loved was, because it reminds me of so many people that I know. I mean, every, everything I read is so similar to my friends, customers, you know, I don't want it to get lost that I've been surrounded by women, women for decades, listening to them. I was literally their psychiatrist by selling them shoes. I was their psychiatrist, you know? I was selling them shoes. I was styling them for parties, bar mitzvahs, for everything, for whatever they had, christenings. I just styled everyone and I would listen and they told me things they probably would never tell anyone. And when I read your book, you're letting it all out in the open and it's so familiar to me. Things I've heard 20 years ago are still relevant today. Problems don't change. Not with weight, not with men, not with dating. It's all the same. And I doubt in any country, in any language, it's going to be any different. So here's another thing. In your book, Too Much Is Not Enough, for many years I thought I was happy. I was trying very hard to live my dream. The perfect marriage in the perfect house with all the perfect accessories. You know, the Pratisi sheets, the Hermes dishes, the Rolls Royce, the La Perla panties, I mean, you can't ride in a luxury car wearing cheap underwear. I thought that was funny. And I thought it's still relevant. <laughs> I, thought, I think it's still relevant today. We were making good money, but lived way beyond our actual income, charging everything we wanted to any one of our fistful of charge cards. We were designer people, designer clothes, designer accessories, designer cars, designer vacations. We lived to impress. But in our case, 
we mostly impressed only ourselves. I learned from that. I can take stuff away from that. Yeah, during, kind of. during that phase, it was, I, in Paris, I was at the inn restaurant, the inn hotel, and if a new hotel was opening in, in Bali, I was there, I was the first one, and I knew all the GMs. It was, you know, the fashion people always go to the newest, biggest, whatever. You know, it was like a, a whatever. I became very spoiled. Yeah, you did become spoiled, but I mean, you did spoil yourself and you spoiled Claude. Yeah. Your husband at the time. But you've learned a lot because I know how different you are now and how much smarter you are. I mean, I'm a restaurant worst nightmare, Rich. Now I don't even want to go to a restaurant. Well, that know? was another funny thing on one of your dates. I wish I could find it. Uh, you were saying how you only eat in Italian restaurants in New Jersey these days and you only eat French in Paris and you only eat the yeah. sushi in Tokyo. Yeah. And then you say, you know, but yeah. I'm not difficult. I'm easy, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, you were very spoiled. Go ahead. I had a first-class life. You, you really did. And um, you're also testing a lot. I know you tested your husband, but this was the cute test that I liked. You have an appointment with the famous plastic surgeon that you had the affair with, but you wanted to find out what he has to say about my face. So I'm also going to strip down and see if he thinks I need lipo anywhere. It's a test. I don't but I want a professional response. I thought that was brilliant. I mean, this is everybody. This is almost everybody I know, particularly women, but it's everybody I know. Oh yeah, this was it. This is, I found it. He politely asked you what you wanted to have for dinner. And you said, no, no, it's, it's your night, Vernon. You choose. You know, you didn't tell him that you don't like expensive Italian and you do not like Italian in New York, only in New Jersey nowadays. French, I only eat in Paris. Mexican has no class, and too many carbs. I overdosed on sushi in Tokyo, and I never eat fish in America because that's all I eat in Spain. Otherwise, I'm easy. I tell him I am a cheap date, low maintenance. Beverly, I mean, was there any of these men, these married men that you wish would have left their wives for you? No. Really, no. Because it sounded like you were kind of obsessed with, with some of them. I was. And you know, the, the biggest one, the biggest one I didn't even write about. The biggest yeah. one I didn't even write about. And I obsessed really? about him for 10 fucking years. 10 fucking years. Who was he? Who was he? And I'm obsessed it's not in the book. I, I don't even know why. I, 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 10 years. And he, you know, the, the amazing thing, when, when I, the relationship finishes, they never want to see me again. Yeah, but they, don't want, they, they don't want to have anything to do with me. They won't meet me for coffee or anything. It's really... Why? Why, I, do, you, why do you think I, that is? Tell me. Why? Two of them, two big ones, um, ended up, they said they ended up in therapy and they couldn't get erections. I thought it was very, very... You killed their uh, spirit. Yeah. You killed their spirit. Okay, here's another thing that is interesting to me, and it depresses me a little. You write that, and this is a letter that you're writing to yourself, your best friend. How about life gets harder as you get older? One of the secrets is that, one of the secrets no one tells you is that on the same list as the older you get, the less you fuck, the less you see, and the less you can eat. Less is more. What idiot came up with that jingle? Less is lousy. That's a, that's, a shitty, that's a shitty reality check. <laughs> I write very well. Yeah. But then again, you say, I, I miss the life in Ibiza. Beach all day, glam all night. But Claude never appreciated it. And now I can attract someone younger. So what's the big deal? You know you're beautiful and you will stay beautiful. All it takes is obsession and money. I mean... I don't know if that's a lesson we want younger people to, to, to learn or pick up. Hey, listen, I don't care about younger people. I'm taking care of myself. You I know, love it. Uh, and it shows. And it shows. You know. But you, but you also do say, I'm going to say, I'm an expert in dieting. I've been doing it since I was 16. In the end, I learned one thing. No one cares what I weigh. People like me 
for what I am, and they certainly do not buy my shoes because I'm a size 8, 10, or 12. You did say that. Yeah. So there is some truth to the fact that maybe weight and being obsessed with it is really at the end of the day, not that necessary. Try to do the you best to, you can. And want to hear something funny? When the um, virus started and everybody was running out and buying toilet paper, I went out and I bought ice cream and pizza. <laughs> my kind of girl. My kind of girl. I, I like that. I said, it's now and never, you know? Also, I don't know what the whole buying toilet paper was about. It wasn't that kind of a disease anyway. It wasn't that kind of a virus where you had to go to the bathroom, but people, I don't know. You know, and here's another thing, and this goes back to the political incorrectness of you. This is when you were getting divorced and your husband wanted you to sell the house, but you had nowhere to put the dogs. So he told you just to euthanize them. So this is when you really get pissed in the book. This is when Beverly Feldman comes out and for the first time, you're not a lady for like three seconds. Dear Claude, I hate you. You are a motherfucking German Nazi Jew murderer. My dogs are too good for you. You fucker. You left them along with me. Go fuck yourself. I hate you. You never told him that to his face, did you? But I hope you read it in the book. No, but <laughs> I, I did. hope you read that shit in the book. He wanted to kill your dog. Just I like that. Know. You know, uh, I had to pay him money at the end because he was blackmailing me. So when I made the last payment, I wrote a, a note. I said, the best thing you ever did was leave. Why was he blackmailing you? What could he now have had on you? What? Um, well, a few things. Is it, I was going to say, is it personal? But nothing is personal with you. With, with you. Nothing's personal with you. Tell me, what, what could he have possibly been? I can't tell you now because it's... All right. You'll tell me when we hang up, and then I'll go back on the podcast and repeat it. <laughs> but, I'm kidding. Um, you can trust me. But that was what I said to him. I said, the best thing you ever did for me was leave. And it was. I believe and it was after true. reading the book. And if we were I friends, came out of the closet. When you're, when you're a wife, you go into a closet, and you, you lose yourself. But when you get divorced, if you, if you take the right road, you, I became Beverly again. I became alive again and I started to live. That's the problem with being a wife. You're, you're like a servant. I got up every morning for 17 years and made him a fucking cup of coffee. You know, it's funny because when I read that in the book, I always thought that if we were friends, we spoke more about your personal life. I would have been the friend to tell you, and which is not my thing. I always tell people, go to therapy, try to work it out. The grass is not always greener. You know, you might find someone worse. I think that if we were friends, I might have probably told you that he's not good for you at all. He's abusive in, in just his neglect. He was abusive, I found. By reading what you wrote, I found him to be abusive just in his neglect for you. And when you were pregnant and you asked him for a glass of water and he wouldn't bring it, and when you had surgery, and, and meanwhile, you had a miscarriage. And um, when you were having surgery, he didn't even come to pick you up when he said he was. I mean, he really, he really was a bad egg. Yeah. You're the most interesting woman. And I have a feeling this will probably be one of the best interviews I have because I learn from you. I learn a lot. And um, I'm still going to learn because hopefully we're going to still talk. But hopefully we're still going to do business. Well, yeah, we are going to do business. You're going to find me a factory. I don't know who you're going to... to make my shoes and I'm not giving a thousand pair minimum. So they're going to take what they can get. You're going to, you're going to satisfy them to make sure they just produce my shoes and make my shoes. On a lighter note, I don't want to be serious anymore, but do you still want to be buried in the black Norma Kamali dress you said in the book? God. <laughs> do you still have the dress even? Uh, I probably do. That I had so much fun in that dress. I know that dress. Went a long way in that book. Let me tell you, a lot of dates, a lot of men, a lot of action. Oh, God. And yeah. another thing I, I thought was cute that I read is that you wanted an extra pair of shoes when you die thrown into the casket. Uh, you wanted white just in case when you get to heaven. They, <laughs> they give you those white robes and you wanted a seat next to the buffet. So, I mean, the big question for me is what makes you think you're going to heaven? Because oh, I'm really a good person. And I love dogs, and dogs love me, really. I believe, I, you're, I believe you're going to heaven, too, but 
the funny part is I always think I'm not. And my biggest fear is not not going to heaven. My biggest fear is going to hell and having my brother right next door to me, asking me for sunblock, do I have water? Do you have an extra baseball cap? I'm hot. Like that's my biggest fear. He's gonna be nagging me for eternity in hell. So at least wait, if I get wait. to hell, please let me have my own suite or my own room or far away from him. Do Jews have heaven and hell? Say that again? No, Jews don't. We don't believe right. that. We yeah, really so, don't. Yeah, so. I mean, I think those are the two things that I do. Um, I went to a yeshiva my whole life and, you know, brought up Orthodox. But I will say the two things I, I appreciated was um, we never try to recruit people to Judaism. You ever notice that? Nobody's ever trying to recruit anyone to Judaism, and we don't believe in hell. So I kind of like those two aspects of the, uh, of the religion. I was brought up Orthodox also, but I, I didn't go. Yeshiva. I know. And you've become, I read in the book nowadays, you light the candles on Shabbat, right? And you are influenced by somebody to do so. Somebody, yeah. Between 20 and 22, my entire family passed away. So that was the spiritual part. I always thought my father was guiding me. And then somebody told me, they explained to me, they thought it was my mother. So now for the last five years, I think it's my whole family up there that is, somebody's been helping me because I've had a very blessed life, really. He's going to say it's more than one person. I think there are many people. And I and love the fact that you, every, with everything you went through, you know you how blessed your life was. And it is. Yeah. And I, on Friday night, I bring everybody down and, you know, and I'm thankful. When you say everybody, who do you mean? The dogs? No, no. I bring I bring people oh. that were important in my life that are not here anymore. Make a little group, and I'm thankful for what happened in the week. And you know, praying my prayers are what I need for the to continue. And I, I get help. I have little miracles. I call them miracles in mucho miel. I love oh, it. Oh, i got to tell you a story, okay? Um, the wedding. I had a wedding this last week, okay? They paid me in cash. So, I mean, I haven't seen this amount of cash in so long. It was like 2,000 euros in 200 bills, all right? So 1,000 went right away. I, I, the money comes in, Rich, but it goes out because it just goes out. So I had a thousand euros in my hand in the morning. I paid somebody 200 euros and the 800 euros fucking disappeared. I never saw it again. This was on Monday morning. Today's Wednesday, right? Right. I, you know what you did with it? Do you remember what you did with it? Oh, and you ever look for something that you lost? And you, you probably got drunk and hired hookers to come I, to your no, Spanish no, castle. No, no, no. I got to tell you, shut up. So you, when you look for something that's lost, you look in the same place 20 times, right? My, my right. housekeeper was here. So back in your head, you say, oh, she, maybe she took it, you know, but I know she didn't take it. Oh, maybe she did, you know, she could use the money and you know. So for, for two days, I'm looking for the money everywhere, everywhere. And I'm re you look twice, so three times in the same place. So then I finally said, forget about the money. If the money uh, would only pay two people that I owe money to, I wouldn't see right. it anywhere. So today, I, I figured when we had this meeting, the view here is better than the view with the computer on the other way. So I turned the computer. And then I go around with the empty spaces and I see 800 euros on the desk. And I said, oh my God, how did that money get there? It was under the computer. So who do you thank for that? Well, me, motherfucker, no, me. If it wasn't for this, you wouldn't even be, uh, you would have never found your money. I send over my commission on it. If we didn't have this uh, podcast, you'd never found that money. That would have been sitting there for another 10 years. So I immediately called my doctor for Botox. You really know how to blow money, let me tell you. You are a professional. If I ever really come into a lot of money, I'm calling you. You're going to tell me how to get all the shit I need, probably at a discount, because that was your thing. Beverly, so tell me, any life lesson you want to give to women out there who are struggling, 
And I'm talking about not just older women, younger women, everyone. Any life lesson you want to give them? You've been through a lot. Well, when I went to college, Pratt, they, the logo at Pratt was be true to your work and your work will be true to you. That was one thing. And, and another thing is just don't take any shit from anybody. You know, you have to be strong. And I, I never, I, I have men work for me. I don't work for men. Yeah, you went through a very, um, you were in this business at a time where there was no hashtag me too. No. <laughs> no. And I'm sure there are yes. a lot of people out there that would hashtag me too to you. <laughs> no. You know I mean? no. No. No, but I do, I, know it, I, I do know it was difficult especially back then to be a woman, especially as powerful as you. I'm sure people try to take liberties and take advantage and you learned a lot and you didn't let them. And you know, at a very young age, when they did that, I would leave the company and then I saw them all go bankrupt because yeah, you they, the importers, they think it's them. No one gives the designer the credit for being the, the brain. They think it's them, and it isn't. It's the designer. Yeah, you've always had that um, knack of being able to say, you know, I'm done, I'm out. Yeah. And that's really, that's a knack, because people are fearful. You were never fearful, which is great. It's, uh, it's admirable that you never really had the fearfulness, but I think it stemmed a lot from your spirituality, and saying that, you know what, things it's, happen for a reason, you dust yourself off, and you would move on. It's, I used to explain it to people, younger people. You need to, to be successful. You need to go, you have to go from here to here to jump and not look down, not be afraid to jump. And that's how you get successful. And many people don't want to leave that edge. I always okay. jump. Yes, and, and that's why you've gone so far and that's why you look the way you look now. You really, you take chances, you jump, and you don't dwell on things forever. You do them. You do them immediately. You're, you're really a proactive person. So I don't want to beat a dead horse. And you're obsessed. <laughs> you have obsessive, yes, you have obsessive compulsive, I think, behaviors, which I do too. I totally get it. And I don't want to beat a dead horse. But now that we're kind of rounding out the end of this interview, I kind of want to still talk about men again. I don't know why. I don't believe you're done with sex. I think that you're, I think that you're still young and gorgeous. I think that you need to be meeting someone and maybe someone who's not married and maybe not someone who's gorgeous because you know, they don't stay gorgeous and it doesn't matter, gorgeous. Somebody with a good heart, a companion. You're living in Spain in this magnificent castle with a pool 10 minutes from the beach in Alicante. I'm sorry I'm giving all the information. If any attackers out there, beware. She'll eat you up and spit you out, so don't go. But um, uh, yeah, so I mean, you have this wonderful life that you can share with someone. I just don't want you to give up. I don't and, um, share it with anybody. I'm very happy waking up. It's, I'm very content. You know, sharing is like compromise. When you're okay. in a relationship, you have to compromise. I don't want right. to compromise. I don't, okay. don't want to do things I don't want to do. Okay, That's famous what. last words to be continued. The next time we talk, I'm going to have see a guy behind you. So famous last words. This will be to be continued. Beverly, this has been an honor. The famous oh. shoe queen, Beverly Feldman. Thank you have you. to buy her book because if I enjoyed and read it, too much is not enough. You're going to love it. I really Thank loved your book. I, I my shoe boxes. I made the shoe boxes just like the book. Clever. Clever. What is your Instagram handle so people can follow your and see Beverly your Beverly Feldman Shoe Queen. Beverly Feldman Shoe Queen. That's your Instagram Instagram handle. Okay, great. I want people to follow because you're still making beautiful shoes and nothing's changed and you still look gorgeous. So. Oh, you sweetheart. All right, my love. Sweet. Till we talk again, it'll probably be in a couple of days. So explain to me a podcast. Yes, to play, you just they hear you or they see us or what? It's just well, no, they, they they can hear they can only hear us if they want or they can watch it on YouTube. 
Are you putting this on YouTube? Yes, it's going to be on YouTube. And I want everyone to see how beautiful you are as well. So um, that's why, of course, and you didn't even know people were gonna see you when you got dressed. Look at that. I want them to see my, I invented this. This is my rhinestone face shield. Now, but you hardly see anyone in your castle. What do you need the face shield from? No, or when do you I need go up, I, I only need it to sell. Ah, I'm okay. Selling it since, is it on your, um, is it on your, is it on your Instagram? Yeah, you know. I want everyone to I'm, check out your Instagram. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I'm doing email blasts and I'm doing one today about it because everybody's very uh, relaxed now. And you heard about those 16 girls that went out in Florida and they all got sick? No. Oh, wow. Wow. People going out with no protection and like, you know, it's like lava and it's, it's not over. Yeah, I know. That's a scary part. It's not over. We're going to discuss this in another telephone interview with you because I like your perspective on things. You're going to help me with my, uh, with my kids and my daughter and, I want to hear what I need to do and what not to do, because I'm sure I'm going to get it wrong. I don't think so. Well, you have it's a lot to say about your father. You have a lot to say about your parents. Listen, it's out of your hands. They're born, and I think their life is... But when you, you say know? things like your father never gave you attention, and, you know, your parents got a divorce, I, you know, it's funny that I know a lot of this, but the fact that I read it and I know you... And I see the repercussions of a lot of the things you have done, I think, in your life, where as a result of that, it makes me really stop when I'm nervous, bend down and say, yes, my love, what is it? When I really just want to jump right through the window or open the oven and climb in. But I don't. I just bend down very nicely and I say, yes, my love, talk to me. And I do it because I have your words still embroiled in my brain. So thank you. It helped. It helped me. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank and you for being with me. You're still cute, okay? <laughs> you're gorgeous. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com.